This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. And I'm excited because we have got a new tech tool that I haven't really had the chance to learn everything about because I took a call with our guest today and about partway through it, I just said, what are we doing, man? We need to just do this as a podcast. Let everybody hear this because the information that I had gotten had me really pumped up and excited about where things are headed. And as you know, from listening to this podcast, we're always going to bring you the tools and tech trends in addition to the secrets and all of the other stuff that producers are using every day on the streets to write more business. So our guest today is Elnor Rosenrot. He's the founder of a company called Claim Setter. And we're going to get down to brass tacks and learn everything we can about Claim Setter and how both personal and commercial agents are using it or or can use it in their agencies. But before we do that, Ilnor, why don't we just give everybody sort of the 10,000-foot overview of who you are and how you got to where you're at at Claim Center today, and then we'll jump in and start peppering you with questions. Sounds great, and thanks a lot for having me, gentlemen. It's great, uh, it's great to be here. Um, I think at least the parts that are relevant here uh, amongst my long and checkered history is until about a year ago, uh, I was the founder and CEO of a company uh, called Jasper Card, which was a consumer credit card company. We issued credit cards to immigrants coming to the US. So if you were coming here to be a, a Google engineer, a McKinsey consultant, something like that, uh, we would want you as a customer. Run that for almost nine years, uh, did, did a fairly decent job there. And about a year ago, left. Uh, to start thinking about the next thing I wanted to do. And as part of that journey of trying to discover what the next uh, challenge I wanted to take on, I was sitting one evening with a friend of mine up in New Hampshire uh, who owns several local businesses, and he just told me this story. He said, you know, in December, four years ago, a truck drove in through the side of one of my businesses. Now, nobody was hurt, but it's December in New Hampshire, and there's a truck shaped all in my wall. So I submitted <laughs> right? The insurance carrier approved the claim within about seven days, but he got the money eight months later in July. 
And to my mind, coming from credit, that just didn't make any sense. You know, you've got an insurance company, which is a very respectable uh, financial entity, right? Uh, committed to paying the to paying the claim. And on the other side, you've got a customer that's running around begging a bank for a loan to get his business back up and running. That just didn't add up. So I felt compelled for some reason to, to start digging in. And I went and talked to a whole lot of people. I talked to claims adjusters and insurance brokers and contractors and everyone else that I could find. And the pattern that emerged was actually very consistent. So I heard from everyone, listen, this is, this is a common thing. Um, insurance companies are fairly good at fairly quick at determining whether they want to pay or not. But from the moment that they decide that they decide they want to pay until the money actually reaches the field, anywhere from four weeks to seven months is fair game for the money to arrive. And again, it just doesn't make any sense to me. So I started essentially asking these contractors that I was talking to, um, gentlemen, how would you feel if when you arrive to a claim site and the carrier has already approved the claim without any red flags, no reservation of rights or anything like that, how would you feel if I just step in and finance the thing? You know, I'll pay Home Depot directly for the materials that you need. I'll pay you on a weekly basis for the labor that you put into the project. And at the end of the project, I'll just settle the entire whatever's left on the invoice uh, with you guys. Um, and in return for that, all I want is the same assignment of benefits that you take today from your customers to make sure that you get repaid uh, on whatever you put in there. And just to stress this, this is just about getting repaid for what I paid to the contractors. Our contracts state very clearly that any, any dollar that we get beyond what we paid, we give back to the insurer, to the insurance company, or to the insured. We don't keep any of that. And obviously, a commission, because we financed, we financed the construction project. And they started jumping up, up and down with excitement, saying, yes, we'll pay you even 20%, just solve this headache for us. And we started this journey. We sort of realized that there's something really big here and there's a lot of pain here for everyone involved. And that's what got us rolling with, with Claim Setter. Hmm. It's interesting, too, because it sounds almost, I mean, it's not the same, but similar to what you see people doing with factoring of accounts receivable and other things, because you've got a revenue stream that's got certainty attached to it, relative certainty. I mean, claims can move around here and there as they're adjusted, as we all well know. But you know, I think it's I think it's an interesting thought process that also helps. It, it tremendously benefits the construction company. We're dealing with major issues around this right now in the state of Florida, specifically because of the number of carriers that went belly up last year or reorganized prior to Ian coming in. And what happened, what has happened, and I'm sure you know this, is that a lot of claims that were being handled by an insurance carrier that is set up to handle those claims and attempt to do so in as expedient of a manner as possible have now been shifted over to the Florida Insurance Guarantee Association for adjusting. And it is bleeding contractors out, you know, jobs that are completely done or, you know, way down the road of getting finished. And they don't have the capital to continue to sustain their business because everything's tied up in the adjusting process at this point. And we're not talking about all small companies. We're talking about companies with a large amount of revenue that had cash in the bank that have blown through their reserves just trying to finance their own claims. So I think it's a really interesting solution to a problem 
that many of us probably didn't realize existed, but it's mm -hmm. magnified specifically because of how hard the market is and the fact that we're dealing with carriers that are going out and leaving the guarantee association to adjust. They don't really have any motivation to move quickly on that stuff. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of, I think the space that we're sort of getting into is, is an interesting space because it's at the core of the insurance industry, right? I mean, at the end of the day, the reason you get insurance is that when something goes sideways, you get restored, you get repaid. And yet somehow for a whole array of good intentions and bad intentions, it's become an extremely inefficient space that leads everybody that tries to get into it. And all we're trying to do is get everyone on the same page by cutting through the mess with, with capital. So instead of getting, instead of getting the, uh, the, the policyholder, the, uh, the, you know, the, the homeowner or the business owner to have to dig, dig deep into their own savings and then be in a precarious position uh, when they come to negotiate to getting their settlement, we just front that. And then we go and deal with, we go and deal with the insurance company on the back end. But at the core of what we do is the idea that if we bring everybody to, um, let's say, a common place, uh, a place of mutual understanding, the, the insurance company knows exactly what's happening. Sorry, the adjuster knows exactly what's happening on the ground, and they're able to reach a decision relatively quickly because they have all the data that they need. Um, and we can get a number from the adjuster fairly quickly, then we can just advance that number to the contractor, make sure that the property actually gets restored, so we eliminate a lot of the questions about fraud and ACV and all of the all, all of the other all of the other issues that plague that plague this stage, and just make it painless or as close to painless as, as possible for everyone involved. So, yeah, that's a it's a space that's been suffering a lot. Uh, cost of claims has been going up. Everything has just been converging to 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 to, to really uh, to really play against the, the the insurance industry. But I think. You know, by helping everybody just come together in this spot, we can reduce cost of claims and make it faster for everyone and just eliminate a lot of pain, really. And is it primarily just the contractor uh, sector of the market that has a use for this? I mean, that's where my head went when you guys started talking about it. Obviously, they're pretty cash flow dependent. Um, so, I mean, is is that is that the target? Is there other industries? Talk about that a little bit. So this is where we're starting. Um, we are a relatively new company, so you know you've got to start somewhere. You can't be everything mm -hmm. for everyone. Um, so we're starting with contractors. I don't know whether it's just because that's the problem that Steve was trying to solve, or whether because it's it's just easy for me to visualize, you know, someone with a tree stuck in their roof, uh, you know, in their roof, and, and and needing needing a solution. But it seems that that's where there's there's a really big need. So that's that's where we're starting. But this is. This is about alleviating pain for everyone. One of the things I love doing whenever I start a new company, and this is, this is going to be my fourth at this point, um, is to always think about the, let's say, the basic human drivers. You know, what does what does any one of the different parties to this to, to this uh, unfortunate experience of a claim? Um, what, what are they trying to do? What are they trying to accomplish? And if you think about the the policyholder, all they're trying to accomplish is to get restored as fast as possible. You know, if you had a magic wand and you could restore them tomorrow at zero cost and zero hassle, they'd be ecstatic. They just want their old sofa. They don't want a new one, really. Mm -hmm. uh, you, if you're thinking about if you think about the contractor, they just want to get to a job site, work all day long, you know, swing their hammer or whatever it is that they, that they specialize in, and then go and get paid. They don't want to chase anyone for payment afterwards. 
if you think about the adjuster, they want to have all the data that they need in order to adjust quickly and and then rightly um, and and move on to the next case. The carrier just wants to get everybody restored. I know I know people don't believe this, but they actually do want to get people to get restored as fast as possible at obviously the cheapest possible price or the most cost-effective price. So everybody stands to win by getting everyone together on the same page. And everybody's kind of losing today because, because we're sort of looking at each other as 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 entities that have different interests. Um, you know, entities that don't necessarily have my best interests at heart. So that's what we're trying to do. That's when we're starting construction. Speaking of swinging a hammer, there's a relatively recognizable hammer behind you. Are you are you Thor? <laughs> That's my night's job, really. Uh, it actually started as a joke because apparently, when I have a cold, I sound a bit like uh, Thor. Colleague's <laughs> daughter once said that when she passed next to a Zoom call. So uh, my colleague got me this, and uh, I do with my daughter. Now, yes, I'm Thor. It's awesome. You know, I think something else that I was thinking about while you were talking too is this also helps with reputation management for the contractors because when you have a claim, you know, especially a cat claim like what we what we typically see here it's usually the first time somebody's had to deal with that. Like mm. the high, the, the percentages say that it's a high number of people it does and, and really in insurance, it doesn't matter what it is. It could be workers' comp, it could be auto, it could be, you know, property. But the average person out there has never been through that process before. And I, you know, it's frustrating if you don't know how something is supposed to work. And I can see, you know, that this solution would keep the timeline moving in such a way. It would help the contractors themselves preserve their reputations from unfair um, negative reviews and things like that, right? Because now that we're in a digital era, anybody can air their grievances online. It used to be you had to wait until Wednesday dinner at church or Sunday morning or you know the Little League field on, on Saturday afternoon, and you could talk in the bleachers with everybody about what a horrible job XYZ company did on your project. Now it's real-time gratification that you get these keyboard warriors out there that'll just hammer a company and it may not be any fault of their own. Now you get a couple of negative reviews. It's not that big of a deal. It's actually probably healthier for you than if all of your reviews are five-star. And I've often said that a company really has an ability to show their real character and true colors and how they handle a negative review as opposed to everything that's being rosy out there. But I could see companies getting buried on Yelp and Google reviews and things right now if they're not getting funded and they can't take that next step in the project until they do, the homeowner stalled out, you know, mm -hmm. really upset because they're not getting the service they think they should get. And so they go hammer them online and, you know, that can put a company out of business, man. I mean, yeah, that's the thing point. that's absolutely crazy to think that, but the general public really does not understand how insurance works, whether it be buying it, whether it be from a claim standpoint and anything in between. And we do our best to educate people when we're meeting with them. And certainly in the event of a claim, we want to set expectations in a reasonable fashion. But you also know, as well as I do, that people hear what they want to hear. And when they're dealing with a negative life event, they're going to do whatever they have to do to get that wrapped up as quickly as they can. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree. And by the way, the worst time possible to learn how to deal with an insurance claim is when you actually need to deal with an insurance claim. So it's a, it's, it's a double whammy of misery there. But I, I'd actually take that and, and demonstrate it somewhere else. Because if you think about the, the, the insurance broker experience, insurance agent experience for a second, I saw a statistic that said that about 78% of customers that had a claim will go and find a different broker, which, which is a stunning number, really, if you think about it. But it kind of makes sense, right? Because when, when you close, when you, bring in, uh, when you bring in a new contract and you, a new premium with a customer, then everything's rosy, right? You're, I'm going to be there for you when something goes sideways. I'm going, to, I'm going to take care of you. I'll work with you with the insurance company. But then when something happens, your hands are fairly tied as a broker, right? I mean, you're, you're sort of sitting there and you're talking to the claims department, but they don't really care because they need to, to adjust the claim. They don't, care, they don't care about the relationship aspect of this, really. Um, so 78% of brokers lose the customer that they spent God knows how much time and money to bring in just because the claims experience was horrible. And so, yeah, this impacts everyone, including people that they actually had a relationship with before. Because a contractor is a random relationship. They're just fired up now. It's very easy for me to be angry with them. But this is a broker that I've known for several years, and now I'm really disappointed. I'm really unhappy. So being able to finally give the tools you know for everyone to actually do things to actually deliver on these various promises you know to get the customer restored quickly that's at the core of what we do so when we partner with brokers for instance um one of the things we keep hearing from the brokers is listen so far i was i was a bit of a bystander in the claims process you know i would help send over the fnol and uh, then just try to be a cheerleader and try to help but if something was going sideways my hands were very were tied it was very limited what i could do but now, finally, you can actually do something for your customer, right? You can you can help them submit the claim in a way that allows it, because we help the customers prepare the claim. We actually bring a claims preparer, um, not an adjuster, a preparer, to work with the contractor that the customer chooses to prepare the claim in a more comprehensive way so that the adjuster can adjust the claim faster, right? We want the time to adjustment to be as fast as possible. And then once the claim is adjusted, we finance it immediately. So... The time to resolution, if you will, or to, to the contractor starting to work and not stopping is much, much shorter. And that impacts everyone. It impacts the reputation of the contractor. It impacts the reputation of the broker. It allows you to actually maintain, maintain these relationships going forward. And you also have a bit of bragging rights when you go to close deals because you actually took this extra step to take care of your customers where you know the broker across the street may have not. Yeah, I think the other thing too is People just want a sounding board and they want somebody to be empathetic when they're going through a situation like that. And I think that because it's the world we live in, we can tend to become callous to what other people are going through just simply because we see it every day. Right. And so I think that that makes all the sense to me. Um, and, and, And to that point, I've actually said before in the world of, of net promoter scores and CSATs and all of that stuff, how many agencies out there have the guts to send out an NPS solicitation after a claim has closed out to find out what people really think? That's when you're going to get the most honest feedback mm. about your agency. Look, yeah. people, everybody expect you to be able to add or delete a vehicle or a driver or a change in address or issue a certificate of insurance where the rubber meets the road and where real agents are made is when claims happen and how you get involved in those. And, you know, there's still a subset of this population 
that can remember the times that when there was an issue, your agent showed up at the scene, your house caught on fire, your agent was there. And I know for a fact, there are still agents that go out and do this, but they showed up, they would have a checkbook with them and be able to at least start giving you some money to put your life back together almost on the spot. And what blows my mind is for as far as technology has gone and as much as society has or civilization has advanced, that expectation is what gives people a bad taste in their mouth. Because back in the day when we didn't have tech, we were showing up with the checkbook to get people on their feet as quickly as possible. Now we have all these tools and it's like claims drag on forever and carriers are inundated. There are a lot of claims adjust. There's a lot of claims adjusting that's not even done at the carrier level anymore. It's outsourced to third parties because they can't handle it. And you're never going to get as good of a result from somebody who is a contract worker to who your real relationship is with. And that's your, your insurance company partner. I think the other thing that causes issues when you have claims is that your client doesn't understand your role because you haven't really explained it to them. They think that you're 100% on their side of the table. The insurance carrier thinks you're 100% on their side of the table. And the reality of it is, A, it depends on what state you're living in, what you're even allowed to call yourself. Are you an agent or are you a broker? Where does your where does your who do where do your responsibilities lie? Is it to your client or is it to the carrier that's appointed you? And we don't even talk about that stuff. And that's one of the things that's so important when you're an independent agent is a point of differentiation because we're competing against State Farm and Geico and and all of these people that are direct captive writers that have one product they can represent. So it makes sense that they're tied at the hip to the carrier because they're essentially an employee of that carrier, in my opinion. Now, I understand there may be technicalities there, but I would argue that if you're at State Farm and somebody walks in, you're not going to go sell an all-state home policy for them. You're going to sell a State Farm policy. Whereas with independence, we have all of these options that we can where we can go for our prospects to turn them into clients. It looks different. It looks like we're more on their side of the table because we have the ability to go different places. When in reality, that's not the case. And I think we need to do a better job of when we engage with people explaining what that relationship really looks like. I think the overwhelming majority of issues in the are in the insurance industry simply exist because we didn't take the extra couple of minutes to explain to somebody how something worked. It's not what the best compliment that I ever get when I train with train people isn't that I tell explain the concept thoroughly. It's not it's not that I took the time. It's that I give them the why behind the what. Everybody's going to understand the what, but very few people take the extra time to give people the why. And you know, when you're dealing with teaching human beings, the why behind you know, and the reason behind doing something is actually what makes it stick in your brain better than just the what, because mm-hmm. you, you get buy-in at that point. And I think that's what drives a lot of issues, honestly, with with dealing with insureds when they when they have claims or any number of other things. And I, I was dealing with this this week or a couple of weeks ago with a guy 
who reached out to me. He had a question about his policy with Liberty Mutual and it's small business. It's one that I inherited from a producer that's no longer with us. And I immediately reached out and said, listen, I'm happy to help you. However, I'm probably not the best resource in the agency for you. Let me introduce you to somebody who can be more attentive to your needs in the timeline that you want. Not that you're not an important client to my agency, but I'm exactly the wrong person to be spending time to go in and do this because it's just not what I do. I'm not valuable to the agency and I'm not valuable to you because I've got people who do this every single day that know who to talk to, whereas I'm going to have to stop and figure out where to start and they're going to navigate the process a lot quicker. I thought I did a pretty good job of educating the guy. And he pushed back and said, no, I expect you to handle this immediately. And I said, sir, with all due respect, your expectations are unrealistic. I want to revisit what I just said. A, I'm on the road traveling this week. I'm going to be out of the office for two or three days. This is not even going to hit my desk until I get back at the end of the week when it could be solved by tomorrow morning. And he insisted that I be the one to do this. So at some point, I obliged and said, this is what the client wants. We're going to give the client what they want. And guess what happened? It was an absolute travesty because I'm busy. I got back at the end of the week. I walked into a mountain of work. He got to the top of my stack. I went to get the answer from Liberty. I had to email for it. I emailed him, told him I'd be back in touch with him. And then Monday rolled around and 10 o'clock Monday morning, who do you think I have an email from? I literally just emailed the carrier in the afternoon before the weekend. No chance in the world somebody's going to have gotten back to me by now. And this mm. guy's pissed off because he thinks this thing's dragging on when it's exactly what I told him was going to happen, but he insisted on not using the best resource in the agency. And I think that's an issue too. People just think that because you're the agency principal or you own it, that you're going to be the best person for them when in reality, if we understand how to manage people and that we delegate to the lowest level of competency to perform that task the best, you're going to get a much better result. Just because my name is on the articles of incorporation doesn't mean I'm the best, most accurate and fastest certificate issuer. It's just not going to happen. Yep. I completely, I completely agree. And I think the, the question of resources and right resources, where we task is a really big one. But one of the things, by the way, I saw as I was kind of starting to put this uh, this concept together, when I was talking to the larger uh, offices, the larger companies, ones that have, let's say, over $100 million worth of premiums, and I'm just cutting a, a, a gross line there, right? A lot of them actually had claims departments, you know, claims advocacy departments that worked for their customers. Because they understand that when something happens, um, the customer usually doesn't doesn't really know how to handle an insurance claim because, you know, how many insurance claims do you have in your life? Once, twice, that's it. You never have a chance to actually develop expertise in this, um, thankfully. So, so the big ones have claims advocacy teams that work with you and help you help you get through that period because they understand that it's a very different talent, talent base or talent style than what you need for a broker. Right? A broker is supposed mm -hmm. to know how to produce. We're supposed to know how to go, build relationships, understand exactly what the customer needs, uh, fit, get the right package for them, the right, uh, the, the right, uh, the, the, the right components of, of coverage, and build that, and put it in place. But then, when a claim happens, that's not a broker. You know, insurance agents do not do not know. That's not their expertise how to do this. Um, so it's 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 always interesting to see how 
different skill sets get dragged into this. And again, when, when I talk to brokerages, especially the smaller ones, uh, the ones that are, let's say, below below $50 million, they constantly talk about how they wish they could have had someone deal with this, but they just can't justify it yet. So, you know, we uh, we, we, we try to help there too. We try to help, uh, we help our, uh, our broker, uh, broker partners uh, by basically helping their customers prepare the claims when they happen. Because uh, it is really, truly about bringing the right resource at the right time. And the smaller agencies, smaller brokerages that just don't have the resources to deal with claims. It's a, it's sort of the dark corner of the insurance world that nobody really pays attention to, at least not up front. Right. And so you, you've given a few examples of like a car going through the window of a business and a tree being lodged in a building. Are you Are you limited to the property claims or are there other lines of coverage that you can deal with? Right now, we're doing only property claims, uh, mm. personal lines, and and commercial lines. Um, we 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 plan to expand into additional lines as time goes by, but right now, we're, we're doing uh, property claims uh, for personal and commercial. And I so have somebody... to feel like, yeah, I have to feel like that because those are the most predictable. You start dealing with third party liability claims or even workers' comp. Lord only knows how long that stuff is gonna gonna drag out. In in also, most of the time, I mean, with workers' comp, you're going to be dealing with an injured worker. I mean, I don't even know how you would get around all of that stuff based on. I think that would be a nightmare. You, you wouldn't yeah. be front, you wouldn't be financing the claim for the company. You would be financing the claim for the injured worker, and that I could see that getting True. real convoluted real quick. You're probably right. I have exactly zero expertise uh, around those types of claims, so I, I, I well, have. Yeah, the difference is you get attorneys involved at that point, right? I mean, you you can have them get involved in property claims as as you can public adjusters as well. But typically, you know, you're going to see more litigated. I would think you'll see a higher percentage of litigation in workers comp and in third party GL and even auto liability stuff. And I don't even know how you put a price tag on that. It's way more emotional, too, because a person is involved with a physical injury. Yeah. So, I think we can see we can see ourselves moving into additional, let's say, adjacent lines. Uh, think about business interruption. Think about uh, uh, definitely with mitigation of it, but generally business interruption. Think about uh, you know third party liability. Sorry, first party liability. But there's there are spaces that I think we could move into. Uh, I don't know, auto insurance and stuff like that. But again, so far, I, I hesitate to say anything beyond what we do right now because we just haven't really looked at them deeply and I try not to talk about things I don't understand it. Oh so yeah, no, absolutely. I, I I agree with you. I mean, you got to get it right with what you're dealing with now before you even think about exploring other things. Yeah. Talk I, a little I, bit about what the process looks like. You know, somebody engages with this claim, somebody engages with you. What's that timeline? What's the user experience? Kind of run through that a little bit for everybody. Sure. So the claim experience, Essentially, we we develop uh, relationships in terms of our how we get to claims with with three main sources. Uh, one is contractors. So contractors uh, arrive to a claim uh, arrive to a claim site. There's a, there's a claim. They they bring us the claim. Um, the second one is uh, is uh, insurance brokers, insurance agents. Uh, when one of their customers, anyone in their portfolio, uh, is in a situation where they need support, then they send the claim over to us. Basically, send us the FNOL, and we kind of take it from there. Um, and we're also developing now relationships with the TPAs, with third-party adjusters, that uh, that are also going to be sending us claims, and we're going to be working with them. So, when a claim comes in, essentially we do uh, we, we we do two things. One, we 
we get the customer obviously signed on a piece of paper that allows us to even interact with them uh, on the claim to help them prepare the claim um, and obviously to help to 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 assign the the, the benefits uh, if if we decide to finance the claim to us. Um, now, we in some cases we uh, we we have a list of contractors that we will share with the uh, that we will share with the uh, with the customer. Or we will send contractors over to bid to bid on jobs, but the choice of which contractor to work with is always in the hands of the customer. So if the customer decides that they want to work with any other contractor, they're welcome to. We're not, we're not forcing a contractor or anything like that. We're just providing a list of contractors that we've had experiences with in the past and there weren't, there weren't negative experiences, if you will. You know, so think of it more as Angie's list than anything else. Um, once, the, once the customer uh, chooses a contractor, we pair a claims preparer um, to that contractor to essentially help convert the uh, help take the, the the estimate that contractors put together because let's face it a lot of contractors don't exactly put the most detailed uh, quotes together they they usually just take a piece of paper and scribble a couple of lines on it and then finish it with x dollars um, so we get a claim prepare to work with a contractor to build a full blown exactimate file um, of 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 the of the proposal of what needs to happen there. And then that gets shipped. So, and this is, by the way, we're talking about twenty-four to forty-eight hours. Once a contractor is 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 uh, is picked, twenty-four to forty-eight hours after they've been at the job site, we should be able to put out a full-blown Xactimate file. And then we send that to the carrier's claim adjuster. Now, it's important to stress here: we we have no position here. We 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 don't really care what the amount is. We, we leave we we leave the professional conversation in the hands of the uh, claims adjuster and the contractor. They talk directly, but because we help prepare the, the, the Xactimate file, instead of starting to talk with a scribble on a piece of paper, the starting the conversation from a place of full detail on what needs to happen there, it's just a much more efficient, much faster conversation. And then once the, uh, the claim adjuster and the contractor have reached an agreement, um, we get an approval, assuming the claim is approved, obviously, without reservation of rights or anything like that. Uh, we get confirmation from the uh, claim adjuster and we start financing the project. We immediately pay for the materials. We just pay Home Depot, let's say, directly for the materials. We settle with the contractor on a weekly basis for the progress of work. And by the way, one cool feature of what we do is that we actually verify the work. So not us really, but the contractor at the end of every week sends us a picture of what they've done on the job site with a couple of sentences describing what they did. And then the customer has two days to dispute that essentially tell us, no, this didn't happen, or this isn't even a picture of my property, or whatever, right? If they don't dispute it, then we release payment for last week's labor. If they dispute it, then we hold payment and let them figure it out on their own. Because again, we just finance these projects. We don't, we're not a project management company. So we, we finance the project, but we keep a very tight payment layer on the project so that the property owner um, actually has full control of how the funds are dispersed based on the progress of the work. And once everything is done and we get confirmation that it's done, then we release the final payment uh, with everything, and that's also where we cut uh, where we cut our commission from the uh, from the from the contractor. So it's a very very tight process, and at the end of it, essentially, what happens is the customer has their property back fully restored, and they don't need to worry about whether or not they get a check from the insurance company. The contractor just gets paid, and that's it. You know, and then they can move on to the next project. And we now need to deal with the insurance company and get repaid. And I think we're just better equipped to deal with insurance companies than a contractor. Because most contractors, 
if you're not a really big one that actually has someone sitting at the office all day long, uh, chasing the insurance company all day long, <laughs> then you're just driving between job sites in your pickup truck. You don't have time for this. Right. So we think we can do a better job there. What's like a, a success story, something that uh, you've seen firsthand where it had truly a, a really positive impact, like one of your favorite stories? Oh, well, we, we're firing up in precisely one week. Oh, so, okay. Precisely. So we we will have, I'm sure, quite a lot of success stories. I can tell you a lot of non-success stories, if you want. Um, a lot of places <laughs> where, we could, where we could have had a big impact in a lot of cases where contractors that we're already starting to work with they're essentially telling us, listen, I could really use you here. And they're just waiting for us for another week. So no stories yet, but ask me again in two weeks and I'll have some. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think I can see where this is going. And I do think there's a lot of periphery to it. You have to look at the financial opportunity, not necessarily the claim opportunity, right? And I can see a lot of different places where there's predictable revenue streams or predictable cash flow streams inside the insurance industry where you could apply the same general methodology. And one of the first things that comes to my mind is agency commissions, right? So I write a policy at the beginning of the year and it's paid on an as-earned basis on direct bill. It's not it's not paid 100% up front like a lot of them are, well, my agency's relatively new and I need some help to make sure I can weather the storm of getting through my first couple of years. And this is a big account that's going to drain some resources on me. I might be willing to look at somebody that has the ability to fund that commission up front, take a little bit of haircut on what I would earn as the carrying cost of the note, and everybody wins in that process, right? I get my annualized commissions up front so that I can provide the service that I need, keep the cash flow in the agency. Relatively safe bet for the uh, the people that are financing that commission up front. Obviously, you need to underwrite it, but still, I, I could see that as being a solution right there. I can't believe nobody's doing that already, to be honest with you. To be honest, neither can I. Um, I think... Uh... I think that's a very interesting opportunity. I, I need to look into it. Um, and- yeah, I'll let you know what my equity percentage is I want on that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> not a problem at all. I usually pay with dinners, but not a problem. There you go. Well, I eat a lot of dinners. Look at me. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it's interesting be- for that reason. And, and I don't think that it's isolated to just the insurance industry. There are a lot of different applications um, that, that you could pivot this technology to. Or the yeah. ge- just the general thought process, and yeah. I, I think it's interesting it, to yeah, it is think interesting. about. I, I think there's a lot of there's other places. I mean, I was talking to, and by the way, we we will at some point consider all of them. Right now, we're just laser focused on. Well, you have on, to be, man. That's that's where most companies fall off the rails, is when they listen to a bunch of people with have ideas outside of their core competency and mission. And they actually listen and act on those ideas, right? You got to yeah. stay hyper focused on where you're going now and get your product to market and prove viability, and then you can start worrying about that other stuff. You can't get distracted at this point. I completely understand and agree with oh, that. I completely agree. But if you think about the high level logic of what we're doing, just to go philosophical for a second, we are essentially forwarding money based on a commitment by an extremely strong financial institution, right? Now, take that and apply that to contracts for small businesses that the DOD puts out. Okay. 
similar logic, right? You've got a lot of small businesses. For instance, I was just talking to uh, someone who's in charge of procurement for uh, uh, one of the bases in the area. And he was talking about how they have a budget for a local company, uh, you know, from the local community, because they try to integrate in the communities to come and clean the base. Said, so, but the DOD takes about 11 months to pay if you're lucky. So if you could come in and finance this, then so yeah, theoretically, I'd finance against the DOD any day of the week, right? But right now, insurance, property, after that, we can talk about, about whatever else. Although the, uh, the commission thing actually sounds really interesting. As you've been getting ramped up, what's been your biggest challenge? I think there's, you know, it, it's, it's one of the things I didn't entirely expect to see, to, to see uh, from brokers, but it was, it was really interesting. Um, I've always thought that brokers would actually be a bit more proactive when it comes to doing things for rainy days. You know, so it's uh, because they sell insurance, they're, they're a bit more minded of that. But one of the main things I keep seeing, uh, I, I keep seeing uh, with brokers, a, a lot of them, not all, but a lot is, yeah, this, this great. I don't have this problem right now. I'll let you know when it, when a, when a customer comes in. So there's no sense of why don't I prepare for a rainy day? It's more of a, yeah, yeah, yeah it's not a problem at the moment. Let's talk to, talk to me after a truck drove in through my wall, after a customer, <laughs> you know, calls me screaming. Um, so that was, that was, I think, uh, kind of interesting to see, but the main, the main challenges or the main, the, the tricky parts to build were, first of all, just securing, we secured uh, $15 million, um, to, to fund projects, uh, these construction projects. So securing that was, uh, was not, uh, not an easy, easy thing to do. And then also setting up the legal framework, the legal agreement framework that allows us to actually run this as fast as we want to be able to run this. Um, I think was was also was also a bit of a lift. Beyond that, we've really been encouraged by the responses we've been getting. You know, everybody that we talk to keeps keeps asking the same question, which is exactly what what David asked. You know, how how come no one's done this before? Um, which is, by the way, the exact same question that I've been asking for the past six months. You know, how come nobody's been doing this before? I'm, I'm still waiting for an answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you may find out once you get to market, man. <laughs> I mean, maybe I hate to to say it that way, but I know. you know, typically, it, this just seems too obvious to me is is an opportunity for somebody not to have taken advantage of it, but. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe it's not that big of a deal. You know, I, I would think, you know, my, my concerns is somebody who invests in um, companies and also owns, you know, my agency and, and a couple of other projects. I, I, my biggest concern would be how many deals can you actually work with without depleting the capital that you have to lend? Right. Yeah. And at which point do you have to start telling people no? because you're out of capacity to front money. And I mean, and you may never run out, man, you know, but I I would think that if I'm, if I'm projecting, those are the thing that, that would be the thing that it would concern me the most is the CEO of claim center is okay. My financing has got to be tight and it's got to be really, really, really deep pockets. And I'm sure that that's exactly, you know, where your head went to. So talk a little bit about that because I can see, you know, my peer group, thinking, eh, this guy, you know, I'm, I don't want to reach out to this guy because by the time, you know, the, the podcast airs and he's made his way around the insurance podcast circuit, he's probably going to be out of capacity anyhow. You know, what's the outlook there in terms of, you know, how how much, um, how deep are the pockets? And you don't need to get into specifics, but I assume they're pretty deep. 
So I'm actually happy to go into specifics. And what I can say is, and this is, I guess, one of my, uh, one of the advantages I bring to this specific venture. Um, in my previous company, I raised about $150 million worth of uh, credit facilities uh, for the previous company. So I, I, I actually have quite decent experience in, 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 do, in doing these. For this specific company, we started with a $15 million facility, but we're doing it with an entity that has the ability to go up to probably around $200 million. And then there's a whole syndicate behind them that can grow beyond that. We're also working, obviously, to add uh, more entities beyond that one entity because having a single point of failure on, on a funding source is never is never a good idea. So so in that sense, we're, we're very robust and we're going to become even more robust as time goes, goes by. But I think the key part here is not the size of the fund as much as it's the turns on the turns on the fundings. Because $15 million, if the carriers pay with a delay of 12 months, it's not a lot of money. But if the carriers pay within six weeks to eight weeks, which is sort of industry average, then it's a lot of money. That means yeah. at any point in time, you can have $15 million open. So it's... There's, there's a lot, and this is the reason that we didn't go for a $50 million facility or a $100 million facility, which we could have gone for that. Um, but we started with the fifteen with a $15 million facility because we still need to learn what the velocity of this is, how quickly the insurance industry can turn these, uh, the, the carriers can turn the, the payments back to us. And based on that, we'll be able to right-size uh, the, the, the receivable facility. But we do have uh, access to extremely deep pockets, yes. So that makes my next question, who's your target prospect? I mean, I know that you're talking about, you know, we can get you distribution through agents, specific agents and brokers who represent those contractors and all of that. But, you know, what's your what's your picture perfect prospect look like? So for our distribution, I'm looking for contractors. Uh, and we've got a contractor outreach operation going on, and that's great. And if there's a brokers, if there are brokers that work with contractors and want to talk to us, that's great. But I think there's a much wider appeal here. At least that's what what I'm hearing from the from the brokers that we're starting to work with, to just brokers that have portfolios, meaningful portfolios, that see some reasonable volume of claim. You know, one a month, two a month. Um, you know, even one if one every two months, honestly. And they want to be able to provide better service there so they don't lose these customers. Because again, remember, 78% of these customers will not stay with them. But we'll, we'll, go, we'll go somewhere else because they were unhappy with the experience. So brokers that are just interested in providing better service, better service for their customers without yeah. it costing them anything, which is, I, I think, one of the, one of the best, uh, best things out there. Now, I may not be able to play golf, but at the very least, I can, you know, not get in the way of anybody playing golf. I can help them stay there. There you go. It's interesting stuff, man. What have we not touched on? Thank you. I appreciate that. I think the the, the main thing here, uh, as, as far as I'm concerned, if there's, let's say, two things that I'd like to leave, leave everyone with is, one, we're here to help make the process smoother for everyone. So the entire idea here is that we help bring everyone together, if you will, um, and we cut through a lot of the noise by using our own capital. Um, and we're happy to take that risk. Uh, but we just help bring everyone together and move it, move it faster. So this is, this is about keeping the costs slow, the process fast, and everybody, to the extent possible, happy in a scenario like that. That's one. And two, I think 
as the insurance industry is changing and as it become as it's becoming more and more competitive, having advantages beyond or having tools beyond the traditional let's sell better this way or let's sell better that way, but actually in the customer care side of the customer care side of the department becomes a true competitive differentiator. So any one of your brokers that's interested, anyone that's listening to this, that's interested in learning a bit more, becoming actually uh, differentiated on that front, being able to live up to that commitment to uh, to take care of their customer in their time of need, um, I'd love to have a chat with them. How do they get a hold of you? There we go. I was going to say, which leads to the next and the, probably the last question. How do they find you? How do they get a hold of you? Well, first of all, there's the hammer behind me. You can always just try to reach out. <laughs> um, claimsetter.com, um, exactly as it sounds. I'm Elnor at claimsetter.com. That's E-L-N-O-R at claimsetter.com. I'm I'm happy to happy to talk to anyone, happy to explain exactly what it is that we do. And uh, hopefully this is, uh, this is the start of a great and amazing journey. Cool. Good deal. Well, listen, man, thanks so much for taking time out of your schedule to uh, spend some time with us today. I'm sure that you have got the curiosity peaked of a lot of agents that listen to the podcast across the country and I'm encouraging them to reach out to you specifically if they've got further questions or to even start the dialogue of how you might be able to help them and their their clients and their book of business um, with your product. So I really appreciate it. It's claimsetter.com, everybody. He's Elnor at claimsetter.com. I know you can find him on LinkedIn. That's how he and I originally connected. And, uh, you know, reach out and get the ball rolling because this is one of those things where this is the first time a lot of us have heard about this, but it's certainly not going to be the last time. And you don't want to be on the back end of the snowball that's gathering momentum. You want to be on the front end of that so that you're an early adopter, because I can see this is becoming a tool that's used at the point of sale by commercial agents to drive a wedge in their existing representation, especially with contractor clients, you know, in an uncertain economy and certainly a hard insurance marketplace to bring more business into their agencies. And so you can't offer it if you don't know what it is and you haven't had a conversation on how to deploy it. So reach out to Elnor, let them know we sent you. Elnor, thanks so much again, and we'll talk to you soon, my man. Thanks See all you. for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Yes, sir. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com. Killing Commercial.